0: So, I heard you say before that these races are 70% mental, 30% physical. Do you still, do you still believe that?
1: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Like, I mean, it's, it, it originates in your mind. And, like, so much of it is like regaining the confidence and, like, the mental aspect because just as your physical body can atrophy, like, your mind can also atrophy. you have to construct your mind to being able to do these things as much as your body. There's a million reasons you could come up with where you could say, okay, I'm done. Like you can always find a a reason to quit and you, you have to find your why of why you won't do that. I'm not gonna ever quit a race. If I have to be the last person, I'll be the last person. I would rather finish last in a race than to quit the race because I'm not gonna be in the top three or the top 10 or
0: whatever that might be. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to thank you for tuning in and supporting the brand. Now, I have spent the last decade plus of my life building Bare Performance Nutrition, and we create effective supplements that you can trust to support your wellness, endurance, and performance goals. We offer high-quality, great-tasting whey protein powders, effective pre-workouts, superfoods, sleep support, electrolytes, and much more. So if you want to support the content that we produce and the message that I am sharing through my content, and on this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you went to bpnsups.com and you can use code NickBear10 to save 10% off your next order. So thank you guys. I appreciate you. And let's dive into the show. Today on the podcast, we have Harvey Lewis, 27-year veteran of ultra running, recently set the backyard world record of 450 miles Ohio school teacher has been run commuting to and from work for the last 10 and a half years and currently training for the Barkley Marathons. Harvey, what's going on?
1: Hey, thanks so much It's uh, so cool to be down here and start of our our vacation actually from from teaching so this is a great way to kick off the the winter holiday.
0: Oh, beautiful. How long is yeah. the, the winter vacation?
1: We have about two weeks over the Christmas break. Yeah. So, uh, and then Nashville is just a city. I don't get down. I get down here maybe every year or two. And it it's just, it's, it's a fun environment. I mean, it's only a four-hour drive from Cincinnati, but it feels like a different world.
0: Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Pennsylvania. Yeah. And um, Pennsylvania being close to Ohio, very similar feels. Nashville has a completely different feel, vibe, environment compared to the north.
1: Yeah, it does. Uh, and today, I mean, we went out for a morning run, and uh, my buddy Greg, who's a local, Greg Armstrong, and it was great to see. Like there was, there's a lot of people out and about. Like, it's and it's, a, it's a little warmer in Cincinnati, even believe it or not. Even though we're not that far apart,
0: so it's a, it's a, actually a big running community.
1: It seems like it. And
0: I was surprised yeah. by that coming from Austin because Austin has a great running community as well. It does. Yeah. And getting here, there's there's run clubs everywhere and there's people running every single morning. I loved it. Yeah. Which has been great to see. Yeah, I love that. Well, I want to kick off. I want to just congratulate you and acknowledge the, the big win at Big's Backyard. You got to be absolutely psyched about four and a half days of running 450 miles and setting the bar pretty high for everyone including yourself
1: thanks uh it was uh definitely uh something that i just is i'm i'm, I'm just so like uh ecstatic about it but to throw it back to you congratulations for your marathon thank like, you I think that's just uh, a really uh remarkable and like for me my personal best in the marathon is uh, like 2:45:58, 58 and like uh I kind of always have this mindset that it's always possible to improve and, and better yourself. So I'm like, I, I may have to ask you a few questions today about like, what, what do you think brought you to that? That, so it's really neat to see that you, you, you got under the 240 mark.
0: I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. That's, that's so cool.
0: Yeah. When I, when I finished the race, cause I was shooting for sub 245 originally. And when I finished the race and you know, we, we, we created a video out of it. We haven't released it yet, but the guys are editing the project right now. And Ian came over to me, he had a camera in my face and all I could say like, over and over again was, I'm just so proud of that one. I'm just so proud of that one. You know, like when you you put in all this work and you execute yeah. and you're like, yes, like we did it. We That's did amazing. it. Amazing. It's such yeah. a good feeling.
1: How many months did you really concentrate? Like where did you get that that vision or goal? And, and and how many months did you have to really work to get to that place? Once you set that in your your mind,
0: well, I've been running consistently since 2018. I trained for marathons and ultras and triathlons, and I uh, I ran a 2:48 marathon at Buffalo two years ago, so I knew 2:45 was doable, and then before this this marathon prep, this prep. Was only about twelve to thirteen weeks, wow. but before that, I was in a a prep for the Last Man Standing out in Pineland Farms, Maine. So I had a good base going into into this marathon prep. Yeah, but it it goes back to what you said. Like I think I've realized over these years that you can keep improving in all these different areas and aspects of your life. Running specifically. Yeah, I was just talking to someone this morning. And they were collegiate athletes and they were training mm-hmm. for their first marathon. And they were talking about how humbling the experience was coming from being this, you know, D1 right, college right, right. star and now training for their first marathon. And it was so challenging and difficult. And I was telling them, mm-hmm. running is that one thing that doesn't matter where you're coming from or where you get started, you can keep making progress. Yeah, And I think this is a great segue into what I wanted to, to talk about right away was your marathon journey. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I read that it took you five years to break yeah. five hours in the marathon. And I think you you finally went sub five hours in nineteen ninety five at the Cleveland Revco marathon.
1: Uh yeah. So it, it started off in uh my first one was in ninety one. And at that point I had only run like up to eight miles. Like I was on the track team I never scored my whole high school middle school experience I was usually towards the back of the group and I came up with this idea I wanted to do the marathon sort of on a whim I told my mom with like 10 days ago and fortunately she just said oh okay (laughs) yeah she was a nurse and worked uh the weekend so she actually just dropped me off at the train we had like a train that went from like the our town in Berea down to Cleveland and uh yeah, so from that it took me 5 years to to get under the the break 5 hours. And yeah, I, I you get to certain plateaus where you think it's you don't really know that you can go further than that. Just kind of wild. It yeah. took me another uh I think I did the sub 3 uh in 2000 in like uh I want to say like 2009 maybe. So that took me 14 years. <laughs> And so I get to go from breaking five years to break five hours. But then after that, it took me another 13 or 14 years to get under th- three hours. That's wild. So a, that's so crazy. It doesn't seem like, like, right. Yeah. It's something, it doesn't seem possible that you can take so long to, <laughs> I guess I was just slow it. Like it took the ultra road to getting to that point
0: it's just like this incremental progress. Incremental progress.
1: Yeah, nothing. And I actually, in that period, I also had my son when I was very young and I went back to school and did my master's in teaching. And when I was working on my master's in teaching, there was a period where I actually, I still ran, but I was uh, running like maybe three days a week. And I, I like went from like running like a 319 marathon to getting back to like a 350 or four hours, somewhere like that. And then I went back again. So it was interesting. It wasn't like a, a linear like uh, approach. Right. That was always getting faster. There were times where I got slower before I got faster again.
0: I think that's, that's, all of that is very relatable to a lot of people. Because I'm sure people who just come across you and they look at your most recent accomplishments in the last five, 10 years- God this guy's just, he was born to be a runner.
1: Right, right.
0: And you go back a few more years and a few more years and a few more years. And it's like, oh, if this guy <laughs> is doing it, I can also do it as well. So it's encouraging for a lot of people. Mm. But I think another part of that relatability, like you just said, you know, you had these transitions in life where life got crazier and your performance decreased. That's natural for a lot of people. Yeah. where there's chapters and seasons where you can go really hard towards certain goals. And there's times where you have to kind of let off the gas a little bit, but you can later when you have the time and opportunity, press back on the gas. I think a lot of people need to hear that and understand that because oftentimes, and I'm, I fall victim to this as well, when you have to let off the gas because of other responsibilities and obligations, there's this heavy sense of guilt that right. comes with it.
1: Yeah. 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 We could totally beat ourselves up. And then I guess it's like Greg and I, in fact, we're talking about this morning on the trail and just, uh, what it is that motivates us. And like, I, I always, when I had those only three days a week running and I, you know, backed off running, I I just enjoyed that for like my, my mental like side of it, just like getting outdoors it like was important for my mental health and like having that the three days, like the roots of what my passion running is, like just that experience of like, just moving your body and like getting your heart rate elevated and being outdoors. And just like, it it feels like a cleansing experience. Like it's like meditation for me. It's like, I, I feel like, uh, I it 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 just uh total different person if I'm if I'm not able to do any type of running. I think it's 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 difficult to like have that. But yes, there is absolutely that the um you know the the waves. So it makes the where we are now where I where I've where the, the where I've went with bigs, all the more sweeter because I didn't always experience success. <laughs> I lost so many races. Or did it, you know, things that I had like a vision to do didn't exactly materialize. And it just kept on, kept on getting up and going again, you know, the whole go one more.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, you know, talking about all of that, how you navigated that. I'm curious, me personally, but I'm sure a lot of other people are are also listening to this curious as well in terms of, You know, you start training, you start running, you make this progress, and I think you can apply this to anything in life—not just running. But you start making incremental progress towards something, and then you get thrown this curveball, and you can't maintain that progress because your responsibilities shift towards something else. Yeah. When it's time to step on the gas again, how do you how did you navigate decreased performance and then moving back into improved performance, and now? you know, here you are decades later at the peak of your performance. Like, how did you navigate that? Was there a struggle? Were there lows? Was it all highs?
1: I I think one thing about me that's different than uh, a lot of the, uh, um, a lot of runners, especially are performing at really high levels is I also didn't have like that collegiate experience like of running. Uh, You didn't have that either. Uh, But i also, when I was in high school, I wasn't like a top performing uh, runner. I mean, I was more in the back of the group, and so my expectations were as much as I really wanted to like always do my best. And I didn't have like this idea that I had to always win every race, you know. Uh, so it, uh, if I think about that period where I wasn't where I was running like a three fifty marathon, I also didn't think it was. at at that moment in time, I really didn't think it was possible that I could, I didn't see myself as a sub three hour marathoner. And that, that's one of the things I think I've learned the most across this whole time is how we see ourselves. Because uh, if we see ourselves in certain ways, uh, sometimes that impacts the way we actually act and, and what we go after. And if, if, with where I saw myself, that, that was like implement. It was, it was nothing that happened overnight, but it was like incremental things that occurred to me. Uh, like going for example, to India and following Gandhi's salt March, like it was like a journey, uh, 241 miles, uh, by myself, uh, predominantly. And I just had to like overcome hardship By like running in like this hot, humid weather in like this incredible smog, and but I just encountered these amazing people, and there were many times I wanted to quit, but surviving that journey was like in 2007 was another like thing that made me stronger. But there were things like that that occurred along the map. Every couple years, I would seek out adventures, and those adventures. Hardened me and like also I learned a lot and it just grew, but it was not never anything that was like overnight. Like it, it was a long, a long journey coming.
0: Yeah. Could you, could you feel and experience yourself evolving and changing and growing over these last, you know, couple of years? I say years being. Yeah. Know, many years yeah. through running. And has running helped you view yourself in a different way?
1: Yeah, without doubt. Like running is it, it is more than just a physical aspect. It's like such a mental aspect to it as well. Uh just putting yourself into uncomfortable positions that may seem really uncomfortable, but then it, it's like being in a yoga move where you you're trying you're trying to breathe through being in an uncomfortable position. So it, 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 the running was a vehicle to train not only my physical self, but my mental self and learning to push through like fatigue or uh, whatever the hardship is or challenge might be. Like running has been like a, a incredible force for informing me and educating me on like what is humanly possible. So, I mean, I I've still feel like there's so much to learn. And I, I, I still like, I feel like uh, you know, I, I don't know everything by any extreme. And I, I, I love seeking out like learning from others still. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, uh, that has been a really important part of like, the whole journey as well. Like just learning from others in the community. So, uh, yeah.
0: Have you ever had to take off significant amount of time from running?
1: I have been very fortunate that I have not like the most. Well, the the most was when I, I broke my neck actually in in 2004. I had this uh, really devastating car wreck. It happened to be on the Fourth of July. A car spun off in front of me, and I went off the car to, or the road to avoid hitting them. My car like rolled over like three times, and I got out of the vehicle, and I felt like uh, like just it was like the most priceless experience. Cause when you think you're gonna die and then you you survive it, it just is like, you just can't think anything, be more thankful than yeah, that. I can't imagine. Yeah. And so uh, there was about, um, well, they they end up doing uh, surgery on me and I had my uh, fourth and fifth vertebrae uh, fused with some titanium. And I had an extra bone added uh, into my neck. <laughs> so for like two months, I had this neck brace on. Dang. Yeah, it was wild. I couldn't drive. I I actually started walking back and forth to work. Uh, It's just my routine. Like, so I still, and what I found also with that experience was movement is, like, critical. So, I mean, uh, if you think about, like, what percentage of Americans, unfortunately, get no exercise whatsoever, it's like- uh, maybe the CDC says like a quarter of Americans, maybe it's like 60% don't get like very much that that's like my body was aching when I wasn't moving. But when I started walking, like my body like, uh, loosened up and that was a, an incredible, like, uh, it, it, I didn't feel pain. Like from, I didn't take any painkillers once I left the hospital And it was the walking, like just walking was like medicine. Um, But it's that for two months I didn't run. And then I had like, uh, I I like actually went out and I did the Columbus marathon like three months after the accident. And at that moment, I actually finished in like four hours and like 30 some minutes. So like that was my slowest marathon I'd had, you know, other than pacing one. and so it was another time where things went the other direction. And it took me a whole year to get back to running like a under like maybe a 315 marathon. It took me a whole year to get to that. And then I just went for another dif- different style of adventure. So I started, I did a couple Ironman races, which were also very interesting. Like, cause it, I wasn't a swimmer. I was like, I, the first triathlon I did, like a half, mar- half Ironman, I was like the second to last person out of the water, like swimming portion.
0: Do you enjoy the swim?
1: I Now I love the swim. I'm still not like, I might finish maybe in like the middle part if I were to, or a little bit behind the middle if I were to do a triathlon, but I love the swimming. I don't so enjoy I, the swim. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no. I I like exploring things and, and trying to learn new ways and growing in those areas. And like, even though I'm not a great swimmer, I'll incorporate that into my regimen for like the, like September August and also May when we have an outdoor pool in Cincinnati I can use. And uh I've but yeah, so for for about uh three months I I wasn't running. But other than that, I've been running like the last eleven years, I've run every day except for like
0: eight. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like it's uh it's definitely part of my like existence for sure.
0: I know we'll get into it, but I heard you mention that the day after you finished the 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 450 mile Biggs backyard Ultra. You went out and ran a mile the next day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to continue your streak.
1: Yeah. Actually, I, I ran. Uh, yeah, I ran a mile. Like, I I didn't get back to Cincinnati to like right before midnight, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So I ran a mile then. And then the next morning, I got up and then we ran to my buddy uh, who crewed for me, Judd Poindexter. We ran to school. So we ran to school, which was a lot of fun because then my, my students are all like, now, Mister Lewis, you won this damn race. Now you ran all the way back to school again. We weren't expecting to see you back this week. That's <laughs> but wild. Like, but that was fun because that was like a learning opportunity. To like show them that, like, yo, know, uh, just you know, show up. Like, be there. Don't have like a excuse not to to come. That's it's a great
0: yeah. uh, standard to to hold yeah. and a great role model to be for for these kids. You mentioned yeah. um, this is a, a, a side. Side note really quick, but you mentioned just like the power of movement and healing for performance, recovery, longevity. I was recently watching, I don't know if you saw it on Netflix. Uh, It's this new docuseries called Live to 100. Oh, yeah. And it's all about the blue zones.
1: Yes, 100%. I love it.
0: It's amazing. I love it. And it explores all these different cultures and countries and geographic locations where people are outliving everyone else. Mm. And one of the common denominators outside of diet and what they are eating is just continuous movement throughout their lifetime. Yeah. And you look at people who are in their late eighties, nineties, even hundreds who who have a garden, who are outside working in their garden or, or working with animals on a farm or a ranch right? and just continuing to move just improves our longevity and our health at such a significant mm. meter that it is so vital and important. I think, you know, the younger you you implement some of these routines and practices and behaviors, you make them a part of your life, and you do them up until the day that you die, it's just going to improve every part of your mental, physical, and emotional health.
1: Most definitely. I mean, can you imagine like even society, like if you look at the greater society out here, And, uh, so many challenges would be like the mental health of people. Like, I mean, amongst our population. Yeah. And that's where I really like to get kids involved. And like, I teach in an art school, so we don't really have a lot of sports. We have like basketball and cheering and we got, um, some things, but, uh, I always, even though I teach, financial literacy and government every tuesday we have a tuesday health tip that we start class with like just 5 minutes but the movement is something i really try to like encourage students with like doing whatever that might be like it, there's so many things you can get involved with but uh what kind of impact would that have on our country if we had like we we got tw- uh, you know we we that number of people that are doing nothing like decreased by 50%. You know, we got that many more people active out here doing things. Oh, I mean, yeah. that would, uh, imagine that impact on like the, the healthcare costs, I mean, as well.
0: Well, that's why I asked you about how long, if you've ever had to take time off from running, because where I was trying to get to, and I'm very curious, how did that time off from running ex- influence or affect your your mental health? your mind, just the yeah. way you felt. Because for for me with running, yes, it is a mm. performance metric and it's, it's a way that I like to exercise and just move my body. But I need it now for the mental clarity that I get. It's almost yeah. like a drug. If right. I don't get it. I'm not the same person. I don't feel the same way. How did you feel in those you know, two to three months where you couldn't move and you're in this brace. How did that yeah. affect you? Yeah,
1: you know, that was a real special time because that was like a soul searching time. Uh, because I really uh like felt like that while there was probabilities on my side, I still had like a five percent chance I could have died or end up paralyzed. So that that time I was just so overtaken by like the gratitude of being alive that it didn't, that didn't really impact me because I was just grateful to have movement. So the fact that I, for um, like there was uh, the overnight um, after the accident where I, I laid in bed and I was just so thirsty because you can't even have anything to drink because they're going to do surgery the next day. Mm-hmm. And I just thought like I would just be, so grateful if I can just walk so the walking even though I wasn't running to me was like I felt like that was worth millions to me like just to be able to walk because there was a chance I wasn't even gonna have that so then I was like oh yeah I mean the running thing it was I'm, I'm sure I would have loved to, I, once I started running I was like oh this is amazing but uh the walking was like amazing to me too because I was like there was no guarantee that that was gonna be there so just to be able to walk, and then I had a, just a, a commitment and a and a discipline and dedication that 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 it was I was going to uh, overcome that, and it was going to be. Uh, I I saw like I didn't see where I was at that moment. I knew that we were going. I was going to go further with that. And I would get back to where I, I believed I could get back to where I was. I had no idea that I would go another 30 minutes off my best marathon time at that, uh, that point. But see, actually having that accident with a with breaking my neck really informed my journey and it, it made me be able to do the things I did afterwards in some respects because I I learned a lot from that experience of of the mind and in it and it also Rekindle my passion to not want to l- let not not take for or take for granted the opportunities to to run and, and go after things that we, we love.
0: It actually makes a whole lot of sense, based off of you know we just, we just met, but like your personality and the presence that you have online and in other interviews that I've listened to. The way that you described, the way you were feeling during those two to three months of not being able to run, you know. correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you always view life as your cup half filled and not mm. half empty. And it is not this scarcity mindset of what I don't have, but it's this abundance mindset of what I still have and the gratitude mm. shown towards that. And I think it's really hard for a lot of people. It's, it's hard for me at times. And I struggle with, and I have to have honest conversations with myself. Of, hey Nick, like, yeah, this didn't work out, or you didn't mm. achieve or accomplish this. But look what you have, like being so grateful for what you have. Have you always been that way, or was there something that mm. happened uh, that that taught you that?
1: I I I definitely was not always that way. <laughs> I don't think I was always that way. I mean, uh, I yeah, I, I mean I. I think about my, my parents, uh, for sure when I, in, in my dad and my, my, my parents got divorced when I was like five, but, uh, you know, my mom, I live with my mom in a very working class, uh, area, Berea. And I never felt like without, like, so, I mean, you know, we may have had like somewhat humble things, uh, on my mom where I was living with my mom, but, uh, Yeah, I just was, so I, I, that's a very difficult question for me to answer. I I don't, I I can remember, I think certainly with, with like my experiences also traveling abroad, that, that sort of started when I was 18. I just, on a whim, uh, decided to go to Belize after graduating high school. And like, for me, I had never really been out of the country and I just went by myself. So I did that journey. And then later on when I was like 22, I went through like 17 countries of South and Central America, just like traveling really like on a shoestring budget, like taking the public transportation. And I feel like when I got out, I mean, you can see in our own country, like when you see like poverty and and things that people are experiencing, but traveling overseas also made me feel, uh, a great sense of gratitude for what we have, and I mean, I've seen it like in Alabama when I was doing like the Selma Civil Rights March, and actually we got a group of people together, including my friend Greg, and we ran the fifty-four miles retracing the Selma March. It was amazing, uh, but along that journey, we we saw people living in really, you know, difficult like housing without windows, even in places. And when I see that, or I'm like in Haiti with my friend who's Haitian David and I see like people picking up scraps uh in in a in a junkyard uh and are just like that's what they're living off of which is like less than a dollar a day then like I cannot do anything but feel like just gratitude for what we have in this country and what I, what I have been been given so uh, yeah, I, I think those are things that have kind of informed my journey more is like getting the exposure to people that are living in these difficult circumstances in different places. So so when I go and do an ultra, I'm like, well, you know, the ultra is like really ex- challenging and exciting. But I mean, anytime at any of these ultras, except for maybe Barkley, I have to find my way back to the starting point. But I can easily just say, okay, I can like just, uh, you know, check out you know, say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm, I'm done. But like someone, like these people I'm seeing, like in a place like Haiti that, you know, they, they're living in such really extreme difficulty. Like they can never, no, they cannot just say, okay, I'm tapped out. Now I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, every day someone walking to get water. Like, I mean, imagine that just, you gotta go walk miles to get water for your family. And, and then, that's just the basic things that we have in this country we just turn on the faucet and you got the water instantly. Right. It's like, yeah. So I think those experiences uh, made me feel very grateful for just everything.
0: It seems like there's just so much perspective from the experiences you've had, all the countries you've been to, all the people you've met, seeing the highest of highs and others and the lowest and lows. I'm sure that just creates this very well respected and understood perspective. And, you know, it has me thinking about a lot of things right now, but I'm curious. I'm wondering your thoughts on this because, you know, you're a teacher and you're influencing young minds and younger people. Like, is or are people limiting their experiences and perspectives? because we have so much accessibility in the power of our hands where we don't have to go out and see things anymore because we can see it on a screen. And does that exposure facilitate a detachment Mm. to the hardships of the world? You know, the whole concept behind ignorance is bliss. And if you don't see it, if you don't feel it, if you don't experience it, you can't really have that perspective of what is happening. So you can't appreciate what you do have how do you kind of navigate that as a teacher with these younger people, younger minds, and shaping them? I'm curious that because I, you know we were just in New York City this past week, like I was telling you, and me and my wife were walking around, and you know coming from Nashville, you know you walk around Nashville, you see the same type of people walking around. You go to New York City; it's this melting pot of yeah. different cultures and people and languages and it's so amazing and beautiful to experience. You see everyone just living their life in their their bubble and practicing their culture. And it's respected and appreciated by all these different people. And I told Steph, I hope that one day our kids move away from us and they live in a city or they live in a different country or they, they go from country to country to country and just experience the world. So they come back and have this perspective that they can truly appreciate and that's my hope for our kids as they get older. Yeah. You know, yeah. teaching these younger kids, is that is that on your mind a lot?
1: Yeah, it it is uh it is on my mind. And like I I fortunately we one thing that I'm so grateful about is is teaching at uh, the School for Craven Performing Arts. So we're like this is our 50th year as a school, it's a public K through 12 art school in Cincinnati. And it it is uh, a very diverse student population. So we have kids of every different race. Uh, we have uh, different religions. Uh, we have uh, students like of different income levels. So in a way, we're kind of like in a bubble because we have a diverse school. But it's not always that way. You know, you have a lot of schools. Uh, I taught at another school my first five years, uh, which was very. Uh, de facto segregated not uh where you know we had like 90 we had like maybe 2 or 3% of the population was white and the rest was uh african american or multiracial and so it was like the other end uh but i feel like in our you know in our country also we're kind of in a a little bit of a crisis with uh in terms of like this polarization of people and villainizing like people for you know being conservative or liberal you know it's like uh i mean running is the best thing in the world because we're running with people we don't think oh are you republican democrat green party libertarian whatever you want to call it but i feel like yeah with education it it, it would be it's it, it would be so powerful for kids to get exposure to like uh kids in, in different places. We, we have volunteer projects. So that's my only quick answer to you. Like I, I have my students do volunteer projects and they, they have to do a certain number of hours and, uh, every quarter. And that's, uh, I feel like that's one way to like try to build some empathy and like getting out there and doing something in a nonprofit. And, um, yeah, that, but it's not I'm not hitting the highest mark. Like I, I would love to get our kids together with kids in you know other countries more frequently. My, my buddy Greg Armstrong, I think he does a, a much stronger job of that. He teaches on private school here in, uh, locally in uh, Nashville. and he uh, takes kids every three months to do a well project in in a developing country. So like they, they're going to Nicaragua in uh, March. And then they're going to go to Tanzania.
0: How, how old are these students?
1: These are like high school kids. Okay. So like usually like 15, 16, 17 year olds. Um, I think occasionally might get a 14 year old or uh, so he has kids that come back, that, they go to this. But I mean, what a rewarding experience. I mean, to actually go and, you know, do that. We, we went to Haiti together and uh, took kids to Haiti. Uh, and that was uh, just oh that, that was an incredibly enriching experience and uh and it was like uh kids had more empathy leaving that experience and as well as more drive in their own personal life experience like after seeing like what they, they they the the light the living reality uh it just was uh i think it was really transformative for a lot of these kids so i mean uh that's not something everyone can do, not everyone can just go and you know take off to you know do that sort of thing necessarily, but i I really feel like you know even like volunteering uh in your own community is something powerful you know, like that 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 brings usually more to you than than sort of even to the group that you're you're aiming to help yeah
0: definitely yeah it's 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 easy today to lose that feeling of empathy. Uh, one of the things we talk about all the time with you know, me, Jordan, Ian, is it's really easy to live in these bubbles, not leave those bubbles. And that bubble creates this echo chamber. So you become very consumed with your life and the few people who are very close to you. And these small problems that arise feel like they are earth shattering. And That everyone should should hear and listen to these problems, when in reality, from perspective, what's what's hard for you relatively compared to hard for other people in different parts of the world is, it's minuscule, yeah. it's 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 nothing. So I think getting out of these echo chambers that we sometimes can put ourselves in can help influence our ability to just live with with empathy and I found as a leader of a business and being a leader in my family and trying to be a better friend and father and faithful servant being empathetic if you're not naturally born with that characteristic being empathetic is so important it's so important and it's something that I'm constantly trying to work on and, and have more empathy with, mm. with people around me and and People struggling with something else, but if we if we stay in this echo chamber, it's it's really easy to neglect that muscle that's being trained, and it atrophies and it it dies.
1: When you were in South Korea, did you have any exposure with North Koreans, like uh, that? That anyone that you come across a, at all?
0: I was 13 miles from the DMZ. Yeah, uh, I was stationed at Camp Casey. In South Korea, so we really, you know, there was no integration or exposure to anyone in North Korea. Um, but that time in South Korea for me, I was I was there for nine months. It was actually amazing and a, a great experience because, you know, we were there on a training rotation, so essentially we were doing our same job in South Korea that we would have been doing in the States. But we were essentially a a QRF, a quick reaction force in the event that North Korea pushed South Mm -hmm. into South Korea. And our base was right there, Mm. which we essentially would have been a speed bump for North Korean forces. Um, So we were there kind of on a QRF mission, but on, on the weekends we were able to travel into the city. I would go into Seoul I would hop on the train. You know, we, we obviously had restrictions on how far and where we could go, but we were able to go explore and travel. And I did. I took full advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. couldn't leave the peninsula, um, but I would go into the city. I would go into, like, like I said, Seoul, but then also smaller villages. And just having exposure and experiencing that culture and the way they lived and ate and the things that they practiced was very fulfilling and very enriching for me it was also very humbling uh, especially when you go into these smaller villages where mm. you know people are living on farms they're growing their own food it's it's very widely spread out there's poverty there far from the city you know you go there you see that and it, it, you leave feeling very grateful for what you do have even going back to my barracks room i'm like wow i had this beautiful barracks room compared to what you see when you're out in the farmland of of right. korea so that was a great experience for me i loved that i want to travel more yeah i want to take my wife and my family as they get older because i think that experience just breeds such great perspective and lessons in life
1: yeah definitely and you had
0: some good kimchi You'll to like be honest, no? I hated kimchi <laughs> when I was in Korea. <laughs> right. Get back from Korea, yeah. fall in love with kimchi.
1: That is awesome.
0: I think mainly because when I got back from Korea, I found out how good kimchi is for the gut. Yeah, yeah. So for me with food, if I know something has positive benefits for my body, it I, I can learn to enjoy the taste of the food because of what it's going to do for me.
1: That's fascinating. That
0: nourishment. Yeah, that's fascinating. So my taste buds and right. my palate evolves based that's off of what that can that how it can fuel me. How that's can a powerful
1: statement. Me. The last two you just said there. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh Yeah, I love the crazy. kimchi.
1: Um, but my partner Kelly, she she actually says I have to eat outside. <laughs> she does not like the smell of the kimchi.
0: Well, if you eat too much kimchi, you yeah. will sweat it through your pores <laughs> as well. I believe it. It's 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 wild. So going back to uh, to you being a school teacher. You know and then I I do want to dive into some of these races, these massive efforts, but you've been running to and from work for the last 10 and a half years. Tell me how that started, why you do it? Is it of convenience for for your training or or where did that start?
1: Well, it really started all the way back in 1996. And uh, I, I was working uh, in this small, like, manufacturing facility. And I would rely on my dad for driving me to work because my, my wife and I, uh, my, my son's mother at the time, uh, we only had one car. So uh, I was still a young man, I was like 20. And my father would lecture me about getting on time. So one day we just had like a little like squabble about it, and and I got tired of being lectured. So I said, "I'm just gonna run to work. Don't worry about it." So back then I started running to work, and then I would, as a necessity, uh, I would actually like run to the campus of University of Minnesota, and then uh, my son's mother would like. Uh, Pick me up, or we would actually rotate. Like she would like come to do classes like later part of the day, uh, and we would do like a rotation with the vehicle. Uh, so, and I also worked in a catering on the weekends. And so I would do these catering gigs with Atrium Catering in Minneapolis. And I remember sometimes I would finish this catering event, and like I was wearing you know a really formal outfit, and it would be on Minneapolis on the South Side. Maybe it was a wedding that I was catering. In, in January or February and it would be midnight and I would like take my clothes, like change clothes, throw down a backpack and I'd run back to St. Paul. So it was like 10 miles and I was back way back in the day. Uh, and so it, it really started there. And then I, I sold cars for a little while after uh, that period of time. And I was joking. I was like the only car salesperson in America didn't have a car. I'd run back and forth That's to great. work. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, my coworkers in mine and then uh and then I went to um I went in teaching and it would it would be occasionally like uh, at first in my f I would do it maybe once or twice a month like when I was teaching, I really just didn't have that as my routine and then somewhere along the line, we were uh doing this sort of project with government class, and we were all saying, okay, it was something we could do to try to lessen pollution and uh I, I said, okay, well. Everyone in the class was committing to one thing. It could be something small or whatever you want to do. So I said, "Okay, I'm just gonna like uh, you know run to work for a month." Like, and then I did that, and I was like, "Oh my god, I love I love this. This is actually like great. Like, why didn't I just think of this? I, I was too worried about it being like inconvenient, or maybe I was gonna smell, or some little tiny thing like that, which was totally not even like an issue whatsoever." And I just felt wonderful doing it. It was a nice way to get the morning started like kind of doing a warm up it invigorates you 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 get to school instead of me feeling like dragging. I actually felt more energy
0: and and how, how far were you living at that time from the school?
1: It was three miles one way, so that that was like the lowest you know a lot of times I would add on like de- depending on what I was training for like I might add on like five or eight miles like in the afternoon or on the way to, to work. And yeah, so then it, that, after that month, I just like kept going and that made it like six months and a year. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to keep on doing this because I also found a positive impact on my performances as well. You know I mean? Being very consistent with that, it helped me. Uh, I think I, I'll end up, I won Badwater like the next year. And like, that was another big jump for me. Uh, that was a big race. And while that wasn't the only component, that was definitely one of the the elements that helped me to improve as an athlete was that consistency. So uh, I I do enjoy it. It's, I can actually get to work if I'm really trying. I can get, to, and I bet you, with your speed right now, you could probably definitely beat the car. But I could like oh, get to work. Oh,
0: especially with Nashville traffic. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So I could get to work. Faster by running than I could by driving my jeep and like parking and then walking a block from the parking area to where because we're a downtown school. Okay, so it, it's uh yeah it's really interesting. It, it, I I just love it like I mean I I I really it's I have actually just I don't take a shower when I get to school I just change in the fresh clothes I have like a closet and. I've, I mean, I've had all kinds of people in the classroom from the superintendent to like the mayor, members of Congress, all those people come in. No one's ever saying anything like, Harvey, you smell <laughs> like, no, cause you, you just, it's like being in New York city and you just, or you're uh, dancing, whatever. Uh, you, I, I mean, it's like, I, I love the run commute. It, it's, it's, I don't see myself ever not doing that now, as long as it's not like I'm 20 miles each way or something like that.
0: Yeah. I'll be honest. Like there's a lot of times I run in the morning. Yeah. I don't shower after I run. And my wife's like, what are you doing? There's days where I'm I'm drenched in sweat. Right. But the day's busy, the day's moving, and I kind of just forget about it. And throw some clothes on, put some deodorant on, and I'm good to go. Right. And no one's ever told me I smell either. (laughs) People might not just be lying to me. But, you know, I'm someone who I know I'll shower at the end of the day.
1: Exactly, and I'm gonna yeah. probably
0: sweat at another point in that that day, so I'll just skip that morning shower and carry on. Right. If it's raining or snowing, do you still run? Or oh yeah, yeah. You, it's it's non negotiable.
1: Yeah, it's a non negotiable, which actually makes it. It's kind of wild. I find that if I'm off from school, it it might be harder for me to get out the door than if I. It, for sure, it's harder than if I'm like. I have my normal school day. So my normal school day, my mind is already like pre-committed to I it's like catching a bus. I know I have to leave the house by a certain time or I'm going to be late. So I'm always on time because I know there's there's no way I have to leave at that time or I have to run really fast. <laughs> and, yeah. And but it's it, it's uh yeah, it's it's quite amazing uh it, it's, it just, uh, definitely like the, just that, the health benefits of it. Um, I mean doing that regular, uh, three miles in the morning, afternoon, doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it builds up on itself. It's like investing.
0: Compounding. Compounding. Yeah. So you just carry a backpack with all your stuff for the day? I
1: just carry a backpack. I have, I don't every night take my laptop home. I do probably like two thirds of the nights. So I'll throw my laptop in there. I have a change of like nice clothing I'll put in. Uh, And I have like my, all my other stuff, like my food I put in the bottom. I might put that inside a Kroger bag just so it doesn't like get out on everything else. But it's, uh, and I've, sometimes I like will carry this giant backpack that looks like a backpacking like for doing like a week long trip on the Appalachian trail. And that's if I'm like bringing extra food into class or something like that. I'll just throw all this. And it looks like, feel like, what are you doing running down the road with all this stuff? Like lugging it, like you're like going up Kilimanjaro or something. But I, I, it's, it's really, uh, it, it gets to be very easy. It's like my, my mind is uh, committed. When I'm off from work, that's more difficult. Like uh, if I'm off from work, maybe like it might be, I'm like doing other things. I procrastinate. I'm like, especially maybe if it's, I haven't trained my mind and it's like rainy and like 35 degrees. I'm like, I wait till like 11 and then it's 12. And I'm like, oh shoot, I have to get outside. You know, it's like that thought process. But with the run commute, there's no thought process to it. It's just like automatic. Like I don't debate myself. It's already pre-committed. So I'm just, no matter what the condition is, if it's like, if it's three feet of snow, I will be the one teacher there. Like there's nothing that will stop me. Like I, I will make it before the cars make it. And like really difficult conditions because I've got other equipment. So I it doesn't bother me. Like rain, all the other things.
0: I mean, that's the power of routine. Yeah. You know, like- I, I wake up and I have my same routine every morning. Wake up at five, drink my coffee, get ready for my run by six. I'm out the door running. And if I have even if I have nothing to do that day, I'll still run in the morning. My wife asks me like, Nick, you got nothing going on today? Like, it's it's a Saturday. We're not doing anything. Run later in the day. I'm like, no, that is part of my routine. I <laughs> got I have you. my best runs right. at six a.m. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy running in the afternoon. I like when it's morning, it's dark. Like that is just, it makes it so easy for me because I don't even think about it. So with some of these bigger efforts that you're training for, right? say this, this Bigs Backyard Ultra or Barkley, for example, how do you get the mileage you need in a week on top of those commuting runs to and from work? Are you extending those runs in the afternoon? Or are you just accumulating a bunch of miles on the weekend?
1: Most day, most weeks, I run three times a day. So I run oftentimes in the morning. Then I run in the afternoon and I get everything home. And then I go back out and I go running further. So that's why I'm really- you like just the running track. all the time. <laughs> I'm just running all the time. And then on the weekends, I like go out. I like to run in the morning as well. Uh, you know, I'll go run like for- uh, maybe it depends on the race, like what I'm training for. Barkley is different. Barkley, Barkley requires a whole lot of time because you're moving slow. So for example, like we could go out and just have like a nice little chilled 20 mile run and be all finished in three hours. And that was no problem uh, on the road. But when you're going and doing a Barkley race, you know, like more than half that race happens off trail in steep Crazy terrain, like you exposed to in Georgia with the the ranger training. Yeah. It's so cool that it, you have to like spend a lot of time going and doing power hiking up stu- stupid, steep, crazy stuff and like running down stuff that no one would ever think they would want to do something like that. And so that takes a lot more time. So doing Barkley, I might be out for like five or six hours on a Saturday or maybe like the Sunday too, just because it's you need that time to cover like the territory. It takes a lot longer, like to do maybe 20 miles, that could take six hours just because of the terrain is crazy. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's, I, I do find like, I just, it depends on what's going on with life. Um, I will wake up earlier if I have to in the morning, uh, but I try to like uh, just fit it all in and in uh, and the, and the weekends are my long runs, usually.
0: What's like an average distance for a long run or time?
1: Well, uh, you know, I'd use uh, races for training too. So uh, that can vary. Like I did a 60K race like uh, a month before Big's Backyard. It was like 37 miles. And that was like a mixed road, mostly trail race. Uh, and that race was like, that was like four hours and some time. but. You know the the amount of it could be, um. Uh, yeah, it, it varies. Um, like for it, it, it's it it just varies quite a bit. You know, it depends on a lot. I'm trying to always simulate the race I'm doing. So whatever the race is, if it's a I'm training for bad water, what bad water happens on the road and it's a lot of mountains. Uh, so I'll do like maybe I'll shift my training to doing like more 75 80 percent road or if i'm training for like western states for example which uh i'm, I'm gonna be doing for my first time ever i saw in that june i saw that i'm uh, really excited about that so for that race i'll be out
0: there i'll be pacing uh for a leg of that race sally gray no way yeah you're gonna pay sally, yeah, gonna no pace way. sally for a little bit. oh that's amazing i'm so happy to hear that yeah i'm, I'm so psyched for it that's it's so cool so we race. will
1: definitely be seeing each other then yeah for sure yeah, Sally and I know each other well. We've done a, a bunch of races um, with Badwater. And uh, man, that's so great. You're going to be crewing for her. Yeah, I'm wow. super excited. That's I, so
0: cool. You know, I, I knew she wanted to do uh, Western States. And then she told me uh, a few weeks ago, you know, she's, she's prepping for it. She's putting all this work in. Yeah. She asked if I want to pace her. I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll see you there. Wow. That's great.
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
0: Yeah. So you opened up the can of worms for Barkley. Yeah. We got to go into some Barkley stuff now. I was first introduced to the Barkley Marathons, probably like most people, through Gary Robbins' film titled Where Dreams Go to Die.
1: Right, right.
0: And I remember, I've probably watched this documentary on YouTube dozens of times. And I was training for my first Ironman and I, I remember being on a treadmill on my honi- honeymoon in Cabo with my wife. And I had a 14-mile run for that morning. So I'm knocking out on the treadmill. I have my phone on the treadmill. And I'm watching this, this documentary called Where Dreams Go to Die. Right. And right. it got me so jacked up and excited. And I was so curious, interested, and intrigued by the Barclay Marathons. Yeah. Can you give a high level overview of what the Barkley Marathon is? Because I, I, I think it started in 1986.
1: Am I correct? Yeah, you got good. Right, it, it, that's right.
0: And there's only been 17 people.
1: That's absolutely right.
0: Who have finished this race? Right. Why is this thing so mysterious and such a beast?
1: Uh, this race is is as iconic as as can imagine. It is a very like secretive ish like cult like uh classic type of event i mean like there's there's this following that's thousands of tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people know about this race across the globe now from that film as well as the one that's also free it's like uh the uh where oh, what is it called uh i forget the the one that came out first in like 2013 I'll come back to it, but it, it's, it's, uh, Laz, he, he had this dream of creating this race. He first went out there, uh, to the frozen head state park. Uh, and the park rangers like thought it wasn't even possible to do this 20 mile perimeter trail back then, because it wasn't like maintained even like it is today. And the race has just evolved over time. So the race is, Primarily it's guessed to be maybe about 120 miles and you basically are covering about uh, 66,000 feet of climbing. So it's about two times of Mount Everest up and down. And you have to find the books that are hidden in the woods. So there's like maybe 12 to 14 books and Laz is classic, like just a character of a race director. Uh, he just got inducted into the uh, Ultra Running Hall of Fame this last couple weeks. But he he basically gives you a, a rudimentary map that you have to copy onto your own map. And you have to follow his cryptic directions, which are very difficult to uh, break down if you're not really familiar with the landscape. So uh, it's it's is very difficult because... It's often like uh, they never tell you what the exact date is. It's a secret. Um, But it happens in March to the beginning of April. And it's usually really wet that time of year. But even like uh, about three years ago, they had a variation of like 78 degrees down to like 20 degrees in like a matter of 24 hours. So it's like they get crazy rain usually most years. You get rain and like fog. But you're, you're navigating in the dark, off-court, off-trail. Like you have to go like more than half of this race happens off-trail. And you have to find these books who are hidden in the woods. And there's only 40 runners. So typically, maybe half the runners are from overseas or more. And people get lost uh, off track. And you know, very rarely does someone finish. It's like a finishing rate of less than 1%. And in fact, this last year, we had three runners finish, which was, uh, we had a drought of like six years of no finishers. So anytime someone finishes the race, Laz goes back to the drawings, which change every year by like maybe 10 or 15% uh, to just keep everyone guessing where the route's going to be. But he makes the course more difficult. So the course now is much more difficult than it was even in 2010 or in 2000 it continues to get tougher. And like he pushes the precipice of what is humanly possible. So it's like dangling a carrot. Like it seems maybe it's not possible to do, but you know, like, well, if all things went just absolutely perfectly, you know, maybe, maybe it would be like the Indiana Jones film where you just slide underneath that door just as the door is slamming. and You somehow, luckily you, you, you made it, you finished the race but I should take luck out because it is nothing to do with luck. I mean, a lot of it has to do with just the amount of like, uh, focus, uh, building your focus, your knowledge of the, the course and learning how to navigate in the dark, in the rain. I think maybe you would like it being I've, a ranger. I've always been yeah, curious. Yeah, I, mean, I think you may enjoy that sort of uh, adventure.
0: When I had yeah. Courtney on the podcast, uh, you know, we, we went to dinner the night before and we were talking about it. And she's like, if you want to do it, we'll make it happen. I was like, I got to be fully prepared. I've been watching you prepare for for Barkley, which, which I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. But that race just is so interesting. You know, you can't wear a GPS watch, correct? Right, right. And it's all compass and map. And even the way that you have to apply... And enter the race is super mysterious, right? It's like all these different things you got to do, and then there's books that are located on the course. You have to pull the page corresponding with your bib number to show Laz that you found the book and completed the lap. Yeah, what happened the last time you did Barkley? Like, how far did you get? What happened? Yeah. Where did it fall apart at?
1: So the first year, this, the first year I did it, uh, Courtney and I, we made it about one and a half loops, and I actually. Teamed up with Courtney on loop number two, and we got um, turned around in the cold rain, about thirty-three degrees, Uh, just pouring rain. We didn't bring enough like rain equipment and and warmer clothes because once we're we're looking for like a book, we couldn't find the book, and we're spending a lot of time uh, just not moving. So you you get really chilled fast. So that was the first year, like we made it one and a half loops, and then last year I went back and. I like I learned a lot. I made some mistakes, um, but I was very happy because I did my own navigation, and I I pulled like we call people who do this race for first time virgins versus veterans, and so I had a couple of virgins with me that were were trailing off of me, and I was it was kind of exciting because my first year I followed a, a guy from New Zealand who was a world champion of Rogaine like adventure racing. Finding this man was incredible, Greg Hamilton. He could like find a dot like two miles away off course without even like in a perfect tangent, running down steep mountain terrain, holding a map and a compass while he's moving. And I'm trying my best to keep up with him. And he's running down the mountain looking like this. I'm was he scratch. military? No, he was not. Uh, but he he just, uh, I mean, he just is pretty funny because like the next day it, it was cold rain. And he's just running around with like a shirt on, a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm like, the heat really got him though. I could tell the heat would, the heat would get him if it was really, really hot. Like right. He was affected by like 68 degrees. Like, oh, it's hot. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, but I'm seeing him operate in the cold. And I'm like, wow, you're amazing. Uh, it's but different blood. Different, it Very, it's what he's conditioned to living in New Zealand. Like uh, they, they don't have, the, you know, it's what he's, he's conditioned himself to. But like the uh, last year, I made it to, I missed the second loop, finishing it by 10 minutes, which in that course where you're talking about, uh, you get 12 up to 12 hours per lap. Like that's a matter of like inches. It's so close. So I got really close to finishing the second loop. And if I had done that, then I would have had, uh, you get, uh, 40 hours for the fun run, which is the third loop. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to go on to the fifth loop, but I would have had a really good shot of hitting like the fun run. So, uh, I didn't bring enough food with me on the second loop was one mistake. And- How long did these loops take you? Well, the first year I did it, it took me eight hours and 37 minutes and we were moving fast. The second year I tried to pace myself and move a little slower so I wouldn't like, so I would be able to do five loops if I could pull that off. And I did the loop in like 10 hours and 30 minutes and I felt like that was a little too slow. Like I should have moved faster because then I was up against the rope. Like I had to make that night because it was a daytime I did that. So moving at night is slower. And I had like 13 and a half hours to make that nighttime loop. And uh, yeah, so it's it's really interesting. Like Laz starts a race with a, a Kong shell. You when Well, I mean, he actually starts, uh, lets you know you have an hour to get ready with a Kong shell. And then he starts a race with a cigarette. Which seems so totally counterintuitive. I've to, like, seen the that the dock. Right? was you mind right? blown. <laughs> right. Is, is last. But uh, yeah, I mean, I this last year, I also carried too much extra clothing. Like I had my backpack. I, it's because the year prior to this, I like was out there without enough stuff. And I was like, well, if it's going to be cold, we had these certain like forecasts, which I wasn't really sure. And like, it was not supposed to rain. And like the, the day of the, or before the race started, it wasn't supposed to rain. We saw like sleet and rain. I'm like, I could just picture myself. I didn't want to have to like tap out because I got had this cold rain that like inundated me and I couldn't finish the lap. Mm-hmm. So I made I made some mistakes in terms of like, I think I carried too much equipment and I should have went lighter on the first lap, and then I I didn't bring enough calories. I ran out of my food by like definitely like two thirds away or half a little over half away into that second loop, which once you don't have the nutrition, you don't have the energy, like you're a zombie. Like it's like you you feel like you're in molasses. You're not like moving like your normal self. Right.
0: It's so important. So what, what makes this race so hard? I'm sure there's a lot of components to it, but is it the actual physical beating that you're getting from the terrain, the elevation, the distance, the time on feet? Or is it the fact that you don't know where the course is and you're trying to find the route or is it a combination of, of both? It's kind of a
1: combination of different things, but like John Kelly, you know, he finished it last year and his, his second time finishing it. And he's also a local to the area. So he grew up there. So for him, I don't think it's as much of a challenge in terms of like the navigation as for me, like that, the, the, the navigation creates some anxiety for me because Normally I can go to a race and I just know, well, if I give a hundred percent effort, like I'm just gonna stay into the mix. Like I'm gonna be with it. And, and and I really have to be careful of mistakes like, you know, with nutrition or pacing. But with this race, I can't just focus on like my pacing, my nutrition, like those are just and what I'm what I'm wearing out there, because that matters too. Uh I have to really be conscious cuz I might be out there my whole for hours and hours by myself and not see another human being. So I have to there's no a, a lot of times the the bumper like the the like uh, bumper guards are not so clear. I mean, it's nice if you have a creek on the right side and you know you can't cross the creek, but other times if you go past something it's not like you can pull your phone up and look at like, "Oh, where am I?" You know, it's like if it's dark and it's like last time when I was out there we got a little turned around and literally it, it was so amazing. But I saw this concrete pipe like in the middle of nowhere. And I recognize it from like like before, like the, the other race, the other year I had done it. I recognized that little, in the middle of the giant woods, this concrete pipe that, that helped me to realize where I was exactly relative to the next book, which is crazy because it's like sometimes they're little, so it, I, that's one of the things I love about the Barkley is because it it i i far from mastered it so it's, it it's it pushes me in terms of skill level to be using my mind as well as my body and, and you have to be super alert you you know if i'm doing bad water i could absolutely put my mind somewhere else like i i can almost close my eyes and run down the road and even if i tripped on something it would be no big deal at all you know like i fall down no problem i just get back up um but with barkley the, There's so many rocks underneath the the like leaves, so if you step wrong, like you could really, you know, uh, Jerry Campbell twisted his ankle getting to the first book a few years back, and he's finished a race before, so he was, yeah, you know, he was out of it. Like by the time he hit that first book, And you have to be so conscientious all the time of what you're doing, and yeah, there are even some drop off points too. I mean, so if you're like not being as smart about what you're doing, you could really seriously, for me, I feel like I could seriously hurt myself. Yeah. So, I mean, other people may feel like John Wayne or something out there, they just go. But like, for me, I feel like I really have to be conscientious of where I'm placing my feet. And like, I'm still falling. Like, I'm like running down the hill faster than normally ever. I, I mean, it's definitely faster than any other time I run. Even in training, I don't run as fast going downhill off trail as I actually do during the Barkley race, which doesn't seem right. But it's like I just let go of like inhibitions, and like there's something about being in a moment of race where I'm just like, okay, Yippee ki let's go! And it's just like boom, going down these steep mountains, running down, falling, running, getting up, falling, running.
0: <laughs> it, it's, it's so it is so interesting. This race, yeah. And as you're describing this, I'm my my palms are sweating, thinking about the intimidation of this experience because. As you described it, any other race, you can almost go into autopilot. You can shut off. And like you said, your mind can go elsewhere. Yeah. And you can almost detach from the effort itself and the pain because it's just let my body do the work and my mind can go somewhere else. With this, though, you have to stay so sharp. And you can see and I can understand why it gets so challenging with each additional lap. Because your mind is getting less sharp, things are getting fuzzier, you're getting tired, you're fatigued, you're probably hallucinating at some point. You're trying to put out this massive effort, but you're also trying to navigate. And as I'm thinking about just, you know, navigating at night, in the day, at least you can probably train associate. And you can pinpoint where you're at based off of the train features on the map and then that you're surrounded by. At night though, it's dark and you don't see anything. So you're really just going based off of, I guess, compass, feel, pace. Like, are you keeping pace count as you're running?
1: There are a lot of runners that do that. I'm not good at that. So I haven't, I haven't, I haven't mastered that yet. No. So it, it's the the runners who are the most successful in this race. They know the course well enough that they don't have to check their maps very often or their compass bearings very frequently. Uh, as frequently. But even like I made a mistake uh, coming um, on the second loop when when I had uh, another runner with me, Pjorter. And uh, basically I was kind of overconfident. Every time I've been overconfident, I've made mistakes. Like that's been an issue. Like, so I was, I thought I had it in terms of like our direction, but at nighttime it's tricky because like, I thought I had it. And then we ended up like, uh, about a quarter mile off target, like, uh, near the, on the other side of prison. And then at that moment, then you, you're reorienting and it's, it's difficult because you're like, like you said, it's nighttime and you're looking and it's like, well, that, that shouldn't be there. That's, and then you're trying to figure out like, it's, it, this creek shouldn't be over here. Why is, Why is that? Why is that? Yeah. It, and you get turned around. So yeah, it's, uh, it is absolutely. A really exciting race and the runners who come are like gladiators like uh they many of them have been dreaming of this race for some of them as much as a decade or five years uh even like uh if you could see like uh secrets but like even like the wait list of like that goes like 45 deep like there were some of the best runners in America like on that wait list last year, you know, like that weren't in the race. Right. So it's like, there's people that are, it come from overseas. I, I I don't know them, but they're remarkable runners. And that's kind of a cool thing too. Like you have a big Barkley following in France and Belgium and like in all over the world. There's like, when I was down in uh, Australia, like there were people really interested in the backyard ultra, but I also had a couple of people like, chat to me about Barkley and how they're really intrigued by that race so it's it's really quite exciting like the the whole world down there
0: what are you changing to your training right now in preparation for Barkley compared yeah. to what you've done historically
1: yeah you know it's funny because I find like a lot of the runners they seem very secretive about their training for Barkley but for me I don't mind b- about being sort of transparent um because I actually feel like it's, it, it helps all of us to, to, to help each other in the race. And like, sometimes you have veterans that will try to like, uh, scalp or that, like, they'll try to like, uh, they'll try to scrape other like, um, virgins off of them. So if they don't want to like have the person running with them, cause they don't want to do the work for them with the, they'll try to do that. Um, but with my training, uh, I've, I've, off trail, like that's where I need to invest more time is running off trail because it's not it's like counterintuitive. You you moving slower and so uh, it's it, it, that out, going off trail, uh, more hills, more climbing. Like those are giant elements. Before before uh, little things too. Like I mean, even uh, before bigs, I started doing cold showers every day. I don't do anything but cold showers. And hot baths, Uh, so I did that for a month up to bakes. and I'm like continue that. So I mean, I feel like uh, conditioning your mind to being not uh, like to love every temperature. So I mean, I I have to really tell myself that I love the cold rain in 33 degrees, like that's beautiful. I I hope it's cold rain 33 degrees (laughs) because that's probably what we're gonna have in terms of odds. So I feel like there, there's so much of a mental aspect running at nighttime. So I'm running more at nighttime in the woods because that's also something I don't necessarily like say, yeah, I may, I may want to get up in the morning and like, maybe I say like, oh, I like running in the daylight. You know, it's, it's kind of nice, but I have to like reorient my mind. So I like running as much at nighttime as I do in the daytime. And like throughout the year, my mind will shift on these areas that, fit into the race I'm doing. So when I'm getting ready for, for a, bit, uh, a bad water, for example, then I'm like doing all these additional heat elements and like telling my body and myself how much I love being in the heat. But like with with Barkley, I can't say that. I have to like shift my mind away from the bad water personality of myself and like say, cause I do love the heat, but I gotta say there, the chance of it being warm in, in Barkley is like not so great. You know, it might be like 78 or 80 degrees. I have to really tell my, you know, condition my, my mind to believing that, that like with 20 degrees, 30 degrees, including rain and I'm, I'm like wet. Like I, I, I listened to your book uh, on Aud- Audible uh, and you were talking about how you were out there and you guys started like singing in the, in the dark. In like, the
0: mountains of Georgia. Yeah, that was yeah. beautiful.
1: Yeah. And that's like that. They, so much is a shifting of your mindset. So then it became easier for you guys to go through hell by you just taking it and going head on with that, that mind. So that's what I try to do. I really try and I have a lot of work ahead of me. So I'm just, at the, I'm just at the beginning phases and I don't have a lot of time. It always feels like when I get to this race, it doesn't, it's going to be there before tomorrow. You know, it seems like it's coming
0: fast. That's how it is for any of my my races I do too. You know, you're, I'm like say 10, 12 weeks out and I'm thinking I'm ready. Like I just wanted to be here. Then you're a week out and you're thinking, I need more time. I need more time. I kind of want to shift that that whole thought process because I am so interested in the way that your mind works and navigates these races. So Laz being this crazy character who created the Barkley Marathons also hosts Biggs Backyard Ultra. And you just set the world record in 2023, a few weeks ago at Biggs Backyard Ultra, 450 miles. That's four and a half days of running. It was uh, 108 laps. Yeah. 108 laps. You know, when did you find... This whole concept of last man standing races, and what did you think the greatest potential looked like then, compared to what it is now?
1: Man, it yeah, that was. I, I go back to like it was in 2016. I think I vaguely heard about this bar uh, or the uh, Big's backyard, and I thought, yeah, that's not kind of kind of interesting, like how that works that you basically do 4.167 miles every hour. And it rotates between the trail in the day and the road at night. And every day you'll cover a hundred miles. So I was doing uh, a lot of 24 hour races at that time. And um, I did, I was doing bad water, but I actually put it up to a vote being the the government teacher. And I had it on social media, I was like, to uh, so people were following me. I said I had that race, I had like uh a 6-day race and a race in Oman that was like a stage race and some other race. I don't remember the other one it was. And overwhelmingly like 80% of people voted for me to go do bigs. So that was my first like okay, I'm going to go out in 2000 or in uh 2017 I went and did it. And going into the race, it was uh it was so uh because I've seen the evolution of race from 2017 to 2023, and it was very um, just laid back. Like, I mean, there were people there that were going to run their first half marathon, which was really amazing. Like I showed up the night of the before. Uh, I got there, I would taught that day, drove the four and a half hours down to Laz's or five hours, and I slept in my jeep, I got there about midnight. I didn't have my crew. My buddy Judd was going to come later on the next day, round one. And um, it it just was, uh, it it was a, a, Laz just brought a whole nother dimension to it because he's he's a bit like a poet. I mean, he is, uh, he elevates the races that he organizes. Uh, It's like an art form for him. He finds a way to create these races. Which bring out the greatest in people, you know, to push beyond their very like uh, capacity of what they think is imaginable. And the the exciting thing about you know uh, bigs is that like is a race with no finish, so you have no idea how far it might actually go to. Uh, But but back then the record was like two hundred miles. So uh, when we we hit two hundred miles, and it was myself and Guillaume, a French runner. And, uh, I think a lot of people didn't think I would do as well as I did because they had associated me as being like, uh, only a road runner, uh, on, and they didn't realize I'd like to run on trail and road. Uh, and so I just remember Guillaume, like I'm thinking, okay, it's 204 miles. We got the record now. I wonder how far this guy's going to want to go because I thought maybe he would just want to go a couple more laps and then we keep going. And, and then it's like. Well, geez, I, have to, I, I didn't take that many days off work. I got to get back to work like the next, you know, pretty soon here. And the, uh, and I started thinking like, well, geez, if we get to 300 miles, because some people there were starting to talk about, well, maybe this will go to 300 miles. And that's not ever happened before. And I thought like, geez, if we get to 300 miles, it, I, I don't know if I'm going to quit. Is he going to quit? And so it just becomes that psychological game. And, uh, ultimately I was the assist in that year. I I went 241 miles and I like, uh, bowed out to, uh, Guillaume and he finished and and won the race, but, uh, it was electrifying in terms of like the amount of followers. Like I had never done a race where it had like more and more people started jumping on to watching what was happening as the race continued. I didn't even know like that would happen. But we had like got past like 150 miles. And then uh, it was almost a whole day that Guim and I were the only ones in the race. Like everyone else had dropped out. And like I was getting like the people there were like, oh, yeah, there's people in different places and countries are following what's going on. And, uh, you know, everyone's excited about what's happening here. And, and it was uh, so after the race happened, there was also just a, a, a giant uh, interest in like the race. And I think uh, that that also intrigued like Courtney and Maggie. And they actually decided to come out to the race, I think the following year after seeing like, you know, our, our experience in the race that year. And so like, you know, Courtney coming, she has like a giant following. is like, you know, so big. And that, that even brought more interest into the race because people are like, and then in 2019, Maggie won the race outright. So it's phenomenal. I mean, it's, you see like, a woman beat all the men and uh, was a champion. Like, that was just a, an amazing thing. Uh, showing, like, you know, the further you're going in, in distance, there is, a, it, it becomes more of a mental aspect than a physical aspect. And, like, uh, there's, it, it, it's, so the, the whole race just uh, was something that I like the strategic elements to it, but I also like the element of pushing myself and discovering like what is possible.
0: And then in 2021 you won you yeah. set the record 85 laps, 354 miles. Going into that year, did you did you know you were going to go over or were you prepared and ready to go over 300 miles?
1: Well, we we had never hit 300 on the course and uh I really I thought it was possible because uh but I didn't know like how far it would go. I never know how far the race will go. But I, at that moment in time, I committed myself to like saying, always prior to that, I had like given up because I had given up um, like because I, I psychologically gave up. Like I mentally said, okay, I, I can't go further. But really, I had never physically given up. Like I had not gotten out there and been timed out because I couldn't make it back. I had made the choice in my mind, even though I maybe didn't think it was a choice, I made the choice in my mind and said, Okay, I think I'm done. I'm done. I can't I I said in my mind, I said, I can't go out and back. But I didn't actually go out on the course and then failed to make it back. It was like I gave up mentally versus uh giving up physically. So that that's 2021. I was my I shifted that and I, I said, Okay, you know, I don't want to give up again because I if I if I if I don't make it, okay. But I don't want to not make it because I mentally say that I'm I'm done. I'm, if I'm not going to make it, I want it to be because I physically cannot make it to finish that lap. Right. That's why I, that that was one of my my shifts.
0: So I heard you say before that these races are seventy percent mental, thirty percent physical. Do you still? You still believe that?
1: Oh yeah, without a doubt. Like I mean, it's it. I don't have exact figures in, in terms of that, but it's somewhere but the, in that the, range. The, the yeah, der- ratios, range. Yeah, It's a range. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a range there, but where it 100 percent it, it originates in your mind. And like even my buddy, you know, uh, Greg Armstrong, strong and I, we were talking today, and he's talking about, you know, he's a really competitive uh, runner, ultra runner, and he's run like over 150 miles in 24 hours. And he said like, yo, uh, he, hasn't, he's, he hasn't run a race in two years uh, with ultras and he's planning to do one in February. And he, he's like, yo, so much of it is like regaining the confidence and like the mental aspect because just as your physical body can like atrophy, like your mind can also atrophy in terms of like, you have to construct your mind to being able to do these things as much as your body. So it's 100% like a major like mind aspect to this. In terms of training too, like, cause you have to get yourself you know, motivated and disciplined to get out there, do all the work to prepare your body so you can withstand it. That takes the mind as well. But once you get out there, like there's a million reasons you could come up with where you could say, okay, I'm done. If you're gonna let yourself do that, like you can always find a a reason to quit yeah. in the mind, and you you have to find your why of why you won't do that. If it unless you're like you know having blood in your urine, or you have like a a, a injury that you could like develop a long term injury from, you know those those are things for me. Like if it, if it's not something like that, like I'm not gonna ever quit a race because I'm not gonna be. I'm gonna be the last person. If I have to be the last person, I'll be the last person. I would rather finish last in a race than to quit the race because I'm not going to be in the top three or the top ten or whatever that might be. Because uh, it's just the way I look at it. I, I, for me, I like, uh, I, I feel like I'm more driven to finish the race. Uh, it's just my my mindset towards it.
0: Yeah, I think. I don't think I I know how powerful the mind can be, and I always talk about setting the conditions uh, in terms of your training and your environment and your physical preparation. But I also believe and trust and know that you have to set the conditions mentally going into something as well. I think back to like I'll, I'll use this past marathon for example. From the time I get on a plane and head to wherever that race is at, my mind is a completely different place and a completely different thing than it is the weeks leading up to. I am so hyper-focused. The morning of the race, it is like the most dialed it can be. And as we're moving into the the corral, like at CIM, moving to the corral, you know, there's a lot of people who are taking photos and they're having conversations about where they ate dinner that night or why they're not going to run the best race in their life. You can hear, you can overhear all these conversations. Well, you know, this happened my life. So I didn't have the best training program. So I'm just going out there and like, you know, put down a good effort. I toe that line and my head is just dialed in and I'm, I'm ignoring like everyone and anything around me. Cause I know that over the next, what I wanted to be, less than two hours and 45 minutes, I had to be so physically and mentally intentional with every mile of that race. And I know if I'm not in the right mindset that it all falls apart. None of the physical preparation matters because I didn't set the conditions mentally to get there. And I know that when I I physically prepare and plan and I put myself in a position to execute and my mind is right, game over. It's so powerful. I really want to understand where your mind goes when it gets really, really hard. And where is that? Like in that 450 mile race, at what point did you start thinking to yourself, this is actually getting tough? (laughs) And where did your mind go?
1: Yeah. So honestly, yeah, there there are a lot of points where that happens. And and it's like your, your flow of thought can diverge into two different ways. So it's like, if you let your flow of thought continue down the 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 uh, rabbit hole, the negative way, like you're going to self-destruct. So like, I'm always trying to re-channel my flow of thought into a direction that is uh, with the frequency of where I'm headed with the race. You know, so where it was really, I remember even like the second night, I was like, I was feeling tired, like in the second night, which is so crazy. Like that wasn't even halfway through the race, and I was feeling tired. And I would never say I'm tired, but like I would tell my my crew member, I uh, say like, you know, I'm just feeling kind of tired. You know, I'm not gonna quit, but I'm feeling kind of tired. And I, and 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 so, just uh, finding. in it depends on what degree of like uh, risk you're at. Like if I'm at a risk of like um, like failing, uh, not failing, but like just crashing and getting knocked out, then I'm going to be managing that differently than if I'm like just, uh, six hours from like possibly crashing the, the ship. So what I mean by that is like, if I'm in a moment where it's like, I'm really pushed up against the wall, then I'm, I'm thinking of like motivation for just the next loop. And, you know, that might be as simple as, like, uh, I'm going to, uh, like, what the food is the next lap. Like, that seems crazy, but I'm motivated by food. <laughs> I love food. So, like... I it did may the same like, thing. Well, when I yeah, did Last
0: band Standing in Maine, yeah. I was doing the same thing. Yeah. I was thinking about what I was going to eat. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to hear more about, like, that experience, too, for you. The And then, uh, but honestly, like, it's also, it can be what you, who you surround yourself with. So like uh like yellow runner, like getting you for the team in Western states, that's a huge deal because she knows she can predict what you're gonna be like. You're gonna have a positive uh like attitude, you're not gonna say anything negative, you're going to um be willing to help any way you can. Like it's predictable. And like that's also really important. Like my my crew chief, Judd. He is uh, quite amazing. He's able to like, uh, he's just really clever. He, he, he's, um, he's able, we actually met in a race in Morocco uh, back in 2016. He, he had never done any marathons in his life and he was on a plane. He saw this Marathon de Salvos race and he's like, oh, I want to do that. He does like bike racing, all these other types of crazy things. And he just practically did one marathon to get ready and then he jumped into that you know, 160-mile journey across the Sahara Desert. Um, but when he's there crewing for me, uh, I could say, you know, I told him I'm in a difficult spot. And he's like, you know, Harvey, you just keep on running back and forth. You're going to run these people down. Just keep on running back and forth. It's at, And then the 2021, he's like, I'm, I told him on like, I think it was the, uh, around uh 100, it was around that same point, somewhere that second night, I said, I was having difficulty. He's like, just imagine you're running to work. He's like, that those nighttime loops, just going, you're going out and back, running to work. And when he said that, it, for some reason, it worked for me. It clicked and I was able to like turn on that auto mode where I get up in the morning and I just go out and I run to work and back. So having a very strong person as your crew can also really be, huge in, in, in the, in overall equation. Uh,
0: but, uh, on, a, on a, on a note of that, yeah. one of the things that Chad Wright told me one time that I will never forget. He said, your tongue is your rudder. And as soon as you say something, it comes out of your mouth. If you don't have someone to self correct that for you, that rudder will take you right to where you don't want to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I hate to say it here cause it's gonna probably make it tougher for me in the races in the future, you know, at that, at, at bigs, but there were a lot of other runners where I heard them say negative things. And I'm like, if you say something negative, like, uh, you're done. Like yeah. I've I already know you're done. So, I mean, like, um, like there was runners that were, uh, on the fourth day, I heard them complaining about having to, you know, go up the, there's some places where you have to make bigger steps up on Hills. And I heard them complaining about that. I'm just like, that's just fueling my fire. Like, I'm like, is like that, yeah. If you're you're you can complaining, feel, you can feel and hear the weakness. Yeah, if you're complaining, that's like just. I don't ever complain. Like if I do, I, no, I don't ever complain. Like if I say something, I may say it to my crew member, but even then, it's it's not in a complaint format. It's just like I'm a, something I'm dealing with, but it's yeah, complaining. It like uh I think it really it it it, it it's that channeling your your flow of conscious and like you could take it down that rabbit hole that's gonna take you to a dark place or you can like rechannel it to somewhere positive. So you in when you're dealing with that like difficult, you just like make it about well, you know, like this is exciting. I, I uh, each of these steps is one more step further than I've ever done before. You know, you just shift like what you're saying or you make up a mantra. You're like I will go. You know, something simple whatever it is. Like there's a, I'm strong. You know, whatever. Just you you repeat that, you reprogram your mind to believing it and then you be it. So it it's it, it is a a, a it, it is the the, the big race is really something exciting because it's makes uh, it makes you push yourself to that very limits.
0: How many times did you have to reshift that flow to something positive over the course of 450 miles?
1: I, I got to a point where I probably did that like unconsciously. Like it just, but I'm sure I had to do it. Uh, I'm sure like there probably would imagine almost every lap, there was probably something that stuck in my mind Um, where I was like, for example, I really struggled with sleep. Like the night before the race this year was Unprecedented. I only got three hours of sleep. And I really was, it was one of those times where my mind was just so active and thinking about everything. And I couldn't calm down my mind, which is like not like me. I've had like three other times in my life experience of running where I had that bad of a sleep the night before a race. And like going into like the biggest race experience of my life, getting three hours of sleep is like crazy, you know? So then in the race, the first three days, I wasn't able to fall asleep at all. Like I just laid there with my eyes shut. And when I did my last backyard in Australia, I made it to like 375 miles. And when I finally uh, tapped out, I actually had the most vivid hallucinations of my life. Like the the grass were they became grass people and the trees came alive. It was my hearing became super acute. And I was like, fall asleep for a second and wake up like this. And it was, uh, there was nobody around. Uh, It felt like I just entered like stranger things, like uh, the underground world. It was really weird. All the colors were uh, slightly like uh, accented. And, uh, And that was probably due to my lack of sleep. So the fact that I went to like, I didn't even start sleeping until the fourth night. Like, and I didn't have any hallucinations this time which was crazy.
0: Like, you I didn't thought sleep until the fourth night. The
1: fourth night was the first time I slept and I was doing 55 minute laps. So I would sleep for like one or two minutes. <laughs> but at that point, it was golden. Like the fourth night, I got to a place where I could like, it, it, we found a frequency like the third night into the fourth night that I felt like I could just do forever. It was something really special. I was running with this guy, uh, John, who's from Wisconsin. And like, we just kind of teamed up and we also helped some other runners who were in the back and we were just like skating by 55, 55, 55, but we were very consistent. And I would think that that's like not the best formula for, for running on the road. Like you're not getting any sleep mostly, but one or two minutes by the fourth night, that one or two minutes sleep was like golden. I was like, I will w- wake up and I felt like, I mean, I still was tired, but it was like, wow, I felt like I slept for eight hours or something. My, my, my orientation was just off. (laughs) Like I convinced myself that it was a long sleep.
0: I've heard about these one minute naps that these ultra runners
1: I never had that experience like that before. That was like unbelievable. So uh, then even in the fifth day, I was able to do that. Like I, I did a couple of times where I just went and lay down for like literally a minute, just like a minute. And even my my buddy Judd would time it. And he'd like, they'd come get me a minute. That's all I had really time for. So I was trying to like use all my time time very precisely, cooling my body with ice, you know, in that fifth day, uh, eating, consuming as much calories as possible, laying down for like 60 seconds. Everything was a matter of seconds. You know, and if I miscalculated even one lap, I would be done. So it, it was uh, risky. I feel like if I ever did have those significant, uh, hallucinations like I did in Australia. I feel like I, I could run through that. Maybe I've never tried running through that type of hallucinations.
0: Sounds very difficult.
1: A little difficult, (laughs) but the, the fact that I went for basically the whole first three days and I didn't sleep, uh, is amazing that I didn't also have much in terms of hallucinating. You know I mean? The fourth night I was definitely like start, I would start to like fall asleep while I was running and I'd uh, catch myself. I'd fall asleep like just for, I fell asleep probably uh, several times just for like a a few, like a second. And I'd wake up uh, as I'm running, like just catch myself and trip a little. Uh, Yeah, it was, uh, I didn't know that that was possible.
0: That's such an incredible performance and outcome.
1: It was wild. It was so wild. I had no idea.
0: 450 miles, four and a half days. I mean, where do you think, where do you think this concept and style of race can go? What is, is there a limit? Like where's, where's going to go next?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, Laz has made it creative. So like every other year we have like, uh, on, uh, even or odd number of years, we have the individual world championship. And then on even number of years we have a team championship. So with the team championship you have 15 members on your team and you actually compete on your home course in your home country. So uh in in 2024 we'll probably have like 50 different countries competing all with 15 runners. And so there seems to be no limit to the possibilities with this race because you have so many different things occurring. You know, you have uh, people are able to enter the race if they're going for 100 miles. In fact, what's wild, this last year, more people did 100 miles in under 24 hours in the backyard format than all other 100-milers combined across the world. There's like actually over 400 backyard ultras now in 73 countries. So it, it's definitely going to be possible to continue to break through the barriers. And yeah, I definitely don't see this record, like, staying more than, like, uh, at the maximum, like, uh, 12 months, you know, maybe less than that, yeah, I really think, but but the funny thing is, is, like, uh, I really, I love the most about this is that, like, just our sense of what is possible, and, like, Laz uh, and I have had, uh, we had a conversation about the team element, because I, see, Biggs is a, a tougher course than many of the other race courses that happen in other countries because it has about 450 feet of climbing each trail loop and it has rocks and roots. And there are some courses in the world that are like a golf course and it's flat. So I'm like, it's not really even for our team of 15, to be competing against another country right. of 15 that's competing on a flat terrain that has no rocks or roots. And Laz is just like, well, you just got to do better. <laughs> and so- Going into 2022, uh, two, we had the team competition. And at that one, I was assist to Puriter. And I really, we, we made it uh, to like 312 miles and and I tapped out. And uh, and I really feel like uh, I didn't believe it was possible to, to run the furthest record on that course when you had all the other runners in these easier courses. I had like mentally like, I I, I didn't give my full capacity, I think in a way, because I felt like it was an unfair advantage to other teams and like it was an unfair playing field, but doing the race this this year and like discovering that we got the world record on a tough course, it kind of changed my thinking, you know, like it's, it's, it is possible uh, to go further, even on that tougher course. Like, and one of the big elements to it is, is the competition. So like we had, uh, 22 runners that made it to 300 miles. We had six runners that made it to 400 miles. And then Ehor was amazing young man, runner from, uh, Canada. He made it, uh, to my assist and then I pushed to the 450. So, I mean, had we not had that incredible competition, uh, I believe it's the, the the most runners who have ever reached like 300 and plus miles uh, in North America, even when you take into like six day races and that type of thing. Like there was just amazing runners there, really good competition. So that really good competition helped to fuel us to go to like these extra laps. Like mm. if I would do it individually, I I, don't, I I wouldn't be able to do the same thing. I don't feel like, with, with having the runners, everyone, it's like a, 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 a total equation. And the total equation is impacted as much by how many people drop out early. If those runners that drop out earlier stay in longer, it actually helps the final runner make it even further, which is an interesting mathematic equation. But if you look at these backyard ultras, that's the way it works. The, the further that every person makes it, the further the final person will make it.
0: It's very interesting correlation. It is. Isn't it absolutely amazing how impactful people around us can be for our own personal success and growth? Say, for example, you came in on one of those laps and you go over to Judd and you say, I'm feeling tired. He goes, well, Harvey, you know, you you got this (laughs) far. Like I'll be proud of, I'll be really proud of you if you've, you know, you go one more and or just stop right now. And you hear that and you think, Oh, well, I guess it is okay to stop. Or you have people in your life who are encouraging or accepting your decision to quit, stop, fail, give up on something. But it is works in both ways where you have people in your circle in your life who are encouraging you to keep pushing forward, keep trying, keep failing like keep working towards that win, it has such a monumental effect on us personally and professionally. And I always talk about this and I think about this, just auditing who's in your corner, who's in your life and how they're impacting your ability to push forward and achieve the goals that you set out to accomplish. I was thinking about that as you're talking about Judd and you know he doesn't care how tired you are. It's well, keep running, Harvey. Keep yeah, going.
1: One hundred percent. I mean, it is like night and day. Like to have so that's why I'm very careful about who I select for my teams uh, when I'm for crews and my A races. But Judd is. He's just uh, he he has that magic. He's able to to uh, keep it positive, uh, keep it lighthearted. Uh, joke around and also to say the things that that he knows will electr electric, uh, electrify me you know in terms of that and even with a team like i uh, I love building teams like uh I ran the 24 hour USA team mm-hmm. and you know we we did things my first year was in 2010 and I I had a, another uh, Mike uh w- 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 was a, is actually a, a ranger um, who's on the, that team. And we, he ended up winning the race, but it was like the teamwork dynamic between all six men and all six women. Like that was the first time we actually got, got a medal as a team, it was in 2010 in the 24-hour race. And like what there were so many elements to what happened before the race As well as what transpired during the race. Uh, And there were things that didn't go right. Like there were curveballs and challenges, but like the, there's so, it's, it's, it's so important in terms of like uh, how you build the, the, the group dynamics. Yeah. You know, and speaking of which, like what did you think about that main race? Did, did you like that backyard? What, what's your plan after this marathon? I'll be
0: honest. I didn't have many plans for a lot of races in 2024, but after this conversation, I'm now itching. Yeah. Itching for a race. Because
1: I would love to see you as one of the 15 runners on the USA team and Laz's uh, property come uh, October 2024. 20, yeah. You have to do a qualifying race. So like uh, a real well-known one is in Capitol. It's like near DC. That happens, uh, I think like in, in around May, then of May. And
0: that's just, you, you see uh, how far you can go 100, you, in 124 hours? No,
1: no, no, no. This is, uh, this is for the Backyard Ultra. Okay. So you will have to either win the race uh, or like get uh, beyond a certain mileage. So I don't know what that mileage is now. It might be like 240 miles or something like that. Um, to be at the at-large list, but basically to get the 15 members for the the backyard uh, team, uh, you you basically have some races which are like winning ticket races, like Ohio Backyard Ultra, that's one of them. So if you win that race, but also you can be at the at-large list by qualifying with the most miles of other runners in the country. And You have to be in the top 15. Mm-hmm. So we won the gold in 2022. Uh, and there's some other really phenomenal teams like Belgium, uh, Australia. Uh, there's a lot of competition, but it's it's a really cool dynamic when you're on this team because what happens differently in the, in the even number of years is I'm not running for myself as much as I'm running for our team. So like I'm constantly thinking about what everyone is doing. And if I see someone doing something like, Maybe uh, I'm noticing like they're not like like bring they're 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 not having any sun protection on. And it's really hot, and I'm like you're you're you probably should put an ice bandana on or something. You're like um, I will say that to them. Where versus like in the in the race this year, I'm I may say something maybe, but probably not. I'm probably not going to want to say anything to anyone else because they're doing their own program. I don't want to mess with them. They maybe have their own program, but in the team dy- dynamic we run together a lot of times uh, we're pushing we're pushing our individual self but we're also pushing the team and it's a cool experience it's, it's quite fun so if you're looking for something unique and different in 2024 as well as people like listening to this uh, i'd definitely say go for it i mean it's pretty cool to represent your country and Absolutely. Race. you know it's it's a lot of fun um you know, we want to have more women in the race we we have Jennifer Russo's phenomenal she she's run over 300 miles and she's fifty eight years young oh wow I mean is that just phenomenal she has a world record for women uh and and it's like but we need to we we, we had uh you know Maggie we had uh, Courtney's been doing a lot of the trail races so she she's uh you know maybe she'll just I know she loves the backyard maybe she'll come back and do it too. But um, we'd love to get more women involved, more women on the team. Uh, but I would love to have you as one of the fifteen members. I mean, it, it's 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 a really powerful journey you go through, and it's not just a physical buildup, but like also the mental like uh, barriers you push through in that experience, mm-hmm. and like just a camaraderie amongst the team is it, it's 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 a good camaraderie.
0: Yeah, I loved yeah. I loved the Last Man Standing concept. And the way it was, it was so unique and different. It was definitely a little intimidating as I went in because I didn't know where the finish was. And going into that race, uh, it definitely wasn't my A race because I knew as soon as I finished that, that last man, I had to go next week into prep for the sub 245 marathon. So like CIM was my A race for the year. Uh, right. So like leading into that, I really didn't want to crush myself. But talking about just like that whole team dynamic, that is something I, I I really lean into and I I get a lot from. You know, in in this past marathon, I was probably at mile 13, 14, maybe even mm-hmm. before that. And I could hear people chanting, going more and VPN all across the race. And I experienced this thing. I, I always have these, what I call unlocks in any race that I do. Like in Last Man Standing, I had this unlock where the meaning of going On More evolved for me, where it was no longer just an action, but it was actually an outcome. And I'm writing a whole book on just like this concept that Go On More has evolved over the last couple of years for me and its meaning and how to actually implement it and see it through. But I had this unlock during CIM where you know, I started that race running it for myself in this personal goal. And I get to mile 12, 13, 14. I hear all these people chanting, go on more and BPN. And you know, when I run, especially when I'm putting out a bigger effort, there's just these emotions that flow that I can't really control. And I'll get choked up on run sometimes. My mind just goes certain places. And I start thinking about all these people who showed up to support the brand and how go on more and the meaning behind it has changed and impact their life. And I thought, at this mile marker, you know what? I'm not actually, I'm not running this race for me and a personal goal. I'm running this race for all the people who believe in the process and believe in going more and believe in what I'm setting out to achieve. I'm not running this for me. I'm running this for everyone else. Like I had the responsibility and obligation to cross the finish line below two hours and 45 minutes because I said that I would because I have a responsibility and obligation to show people, what happens when you put in the work and that mindset shift put me in a whole new headspace where I was able to hold, you know, 605 miles the whole way through after that. And the last three miles were the hardest miles to race, but I just got stronger and stronger and stronger because I was thinking I'm running this for a team. I'm not running this for myself anymore. So there's that responsibility you get from that. That is so powerful. Yeah that can make such a huge difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, y- y- hitting higher levels uh, in terms of like, it, it, that that's the highest level you can hit is when you, you start to, you, you experience something like that where you're running uh, not just for yourself, but you're running for a greater purpose or greater cause. That's something special. It's incredible. Yeah, that's really neat.
0: Well, Harvey, I really appreciate you sharing your stories and everything you're doing, the running community, the the energy, you know, there's, there's this quote that I came across a few weeks ago and I've been obsessed with it since I came across it. And it's that role enthusiasm is contagious. And you have this raw enthusiasm around what you're doing. And I can feel it and I can see it from the classroom to running to your travel and the experience, the impact you're having on people and in the world and, it's contagious. I mean, I can I'm I've caught the the raw enthusiasm from here now and I'm itching uh, now for an ultra. So I'm gonna go home and convince my wife that I'm running an ultra I love in 2024. It. I love it. But I, I really appreciate you making the trip here, coming to the podcast, and again, huge congratulations for setting a world record of an amazing effort.
1: Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I feel like we should go running. <laughs> Seriously. I know Seriously. Like, let's go. Well, Harvey,
0: man, I appreciate you. And And cheers. uh,
1: Thanks so much. It's been a blast. Absolutely. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it.